All right, my name is Bryn. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today and hope you're having a good uh, new year here in January. And uh, we're, we're in a sermon series on uh, rhythms and uh, habits and kind of developing habits in your life that put you in the way of transformation and growth. And what we've been saying is that by ignoring the ways that habits shape us, we've assimilated into a hidden rule of life, the American rule of life. So unwittingly, uh, our habits are shaping us into kind of the, 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 the American way of life. They're shaping us into our culture. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to develop counterformational habits that will invade our moments of waking and rhythms of work and our patterns of community. Develop new habits that lead you in a different direction, a countercultural direction related to uh, community and work and basically everything in life. Today we're going to look at habits of community. And at the end of the sermon today, we're going to ask you to sign up for a community group if you haven't done that. But before we do any of that, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, being here this morning by your Holy Spirit uh, through the teaching of your word. And, and Lord, we pray that as we gather, you would speak into our lives, that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us, God, to receive with wholeheartedness the truth that you might speak. Lord, be with our kids. We ask, God, that you would help them understand Jesus, that you'd be with the teachers, help them, God, to explain the gospel clearly. And we pray that all of us would leave this building today knowing you better than when we came in. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, well, today we're talking about community, creating rhythms of community. I want to begin with a picture, so it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, hopefully, in just a second, uh, it's going to come up. And uh, what, what's going to come up is a sculpture recently placed on a bench in Amsterdam. Is it up there? Yep, there it is. And it's simply called Addiction. And I think what the artist is trying to, he's making a statement here, and I think he's saying more than simply we are all addicted to our iPhones, which is true. He's saying something about our isolation and our loneliness as a culture. We are getting more and more connected to our technology, but less and less connected to each other. I think that's true. Uh, years ago, there was a book uh, written by uh, Robert Putnam. It's called Bowling Alone. Written in uh, 2000, it's a seminal work, and, and in it, what he says is that all of us are bowling more. So Americans, uh, the good news, I guess, is that bowling is up. But he's saying, here's the thing about it is that we are bowling more and more alone. So uh, we're joining leagues less. We're, we're, when we do go bowling it, we're doing it by ourselves. And he says this is true across the board in our culture. Uh, we as Americans, he says, are, are losing our social capital. You know, there's financial capital. He says, you know, as GDP is going up, as our financial wealth is going up, we as a culture are, are decreasing in our social capital. In other words, we're becoming more and more relationally impoverished. We're breaking down as, as a society. We're, be, we're becoming less and less connected. Now, this book was written in 2000, and the iPhone was invented, invented in 2007. So I would argue that now we're actually worse than when he wrote the book. Uh, last year, Theresa May made news when she appointed a loneliness minister in the UK. So uh, based, based on a study in which 9 million Brits, that's 20% of their population, were identified as lonely. 
In, in, in her statement to the press, she said, quote, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of, of modern life. And maybe that's your sad reality. Uh, this is not only true in, in, in Great Britain, but in the U.S., rates of loneliness are actually much higher, so they've doubled since the 1980s. 35% of Americans report that they are chronically lonely. Uh, only 8% report having had a conversation with a neighbor over the previous year. In 1984, the average American had three confidants. In a recent report, it said that now 20% or 25% have zero. The former uh, Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, in an article for the Harvard Business Review wrote, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, but loneliness. In an interview with uh, Thomas Friedman in the New York Times, he called loneliness the great pathology of our lives today, loneliness is the great pathology of our lives today. On a similar note, George Gallup said that Americans are among the loneliness people in the world. In the world. And it's hard to argue with uh, novelist Thomas Wolfe's statement when he said loneliness is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. And here's the thing, loneliness actually leads to a wide uh, range of, of, of health issues, right? So one study found that it's worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day um, it's, it has a greater impact on your lifespan than obesity. Uh, multiple studies have tied, our, tied it to heart disease, dementia, to anxiety, and depression. And so here's how it works. I read an article last week that said that uh, when you are lonely, it releases stress uh, hormones in your body, which increases infl inflammation, which in turn leads to all sorts of, of health issues, sicknesses, and chronic illnesses. So we've got a problem, don't we? And maybe some of us feel this problem acutely in our lives. And so it, are, are there rhythms, are there practices from the Bible, from the life of Jesus that what might set us on a, on a pathway where, of connection in this culture of isolation? Are there things that we can do? Are there habits that we can develop that might put us on a path where we're actually connecting more and more as people? Well, there are, and we're going to look at that today, but, but what I want to do is I want to go back first, and I want to look at what is the cause of our isolation? What is the cause, the root cause of our loneliness? Now, now there's a lot of answers to this question. You might say it's our, our culture of radical uh, individualism, or somebody might say, like I've argued, that, that, it's, that it's, it's technology, it's our iPhones, that's kind of the root cause. Or somebody might say it's industrialization, it's our patterns of, of work and how it splinters our, our lives and our families, and all that's true. But I want to go way back, I want to go back to the, the core uh, basic story of our humanity. And I want to show you that loneliness is actually rooted in who we are as people. It's a deep, deep problem. And so we're going to look at the cause of this problem, and then we're going to look at some solutions that we might have. So we're going to see three things today. We're going to look at the book of Genesis. We're going to see uh, three things today. We're going to see, number one, our need for community or connection. Second of all, our problem with connection. And thirdly, our, the solution or our solution for connection. So the need, the problem, and the solution. Three things today in the book of Genesis. And so uh, open back up your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to begin here in verse 18. But before we begin, um, 
We've got to kind of get the context. So this is a creation story. God has created everything. Uh, he's, and, and, and after everything that he's made, he pronounces a benediction on, on, all, on all of it. So he said, God creates light and the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he says, it is good. And then he creates the land and the plants and the trees and the, you know, the vegetation. And he says, it is good. And then he creates uh, the beasts of the field and the, and the beasts of the air and, and all the, the wildlife. And he says, it is good. And then he steps back from all of creation and he, and he looks at all of it and he says, it is very good. So you hear, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then you, you come to this jarring moment in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, read with me, then the Lord God said, it is not good. Now, this is one of the great theological weirdnesses of the Bible, because here we have the first malediction. This is, this is the first time God says it is not good, and it should stop us. It should, you know, as readers, it should, it's a stark contrast. What's not good in God's, in God's creation? And it says here that it is not good, what, what? That, that man is alone. Adam's loneliness is the first not good in all of God's good world. This is astonishing, because remember, this is before sin entered into God's world. So here's Adam, and he's, he's in a perfect environment. You know, he's in the Garden of Eden and where, where everything's right and everything's ideal. He's got a perfect relationship with God. Uh, he's, he walks with God in the cool of the, day, of the day. Everything's perfect, but you see, Adam cannot enjoy paradise alone. Adam needs friends in the garden. And so God says, it is not good that man should be alone. You are created for connection. There is a need. It's part of our, your DNA as a human being. You need to have friends. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, to need and desire friendships is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but maturity. Not a sign of weakness, but of health. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. Adam could not enjoy paradise without friends. And so there's a lot of aches, right, that are because of sin. The ache of guilt, right, or the ache of meaning, or, 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 or the ache of, of, of sin and brokenness. But loneliness is the only ache that is not the result of sin. Your ache for, for connection is part of your perfection, what this means, just to apply it really quickly, is that, is that if, if you're here and you feel lonely, there's, there's, there is nothing wrong with you at all. There is something right with you. And if you're here and, and maybe you're ignoring friendships, you know, you're, you're putting work at the center of your life or hobby at the center of your life or something else besides connection at the center of your life, you are cutting against the fabric of your creation because the need for connection is in your DNA. You ignore friendship to your own peril. You dashed your heart up against the rocks of ultimate reality. And the reason why that is is because you've, you've been created in the image of God. You've been created in the image of a God who is a we, not a me. He said, let us make man in our image. And because relation, relationship is in the heart of who God is, it's in the heart of who you are. And so we're created for connection. We have a need for community, but what kind of community do we need? Well, notice the story goes on. And uh, God tasks Adam to find, a, a, you know, someone suitable for him. 
And so God says, bring all the animals to me. And so I picture it like this. God bring, Adam brings the rhinoceros to God, and, and he says, is this one suitable? And God says, ah, no, no, that one's not going to work. And so he brings the alligator. No, that, not, that one's not going to work. And then Adam brings the dog, and God, God says, well, better. You know, it's a little bit better, but not, still not a suitable companion. And then, God, then Adam brings the cat, and God says, uh, I didn't make that one. None of them work until Adam finally is put to sleep by God and, and God creates out of the rib of Adam, Eve. And finally there's one compatible. Finally there's one who he could connect with. And they dwell together and it says they were naked and not ashamed. Now we normally think about this as primarily applied to marriage. And it does have an application to marriage, but this is not the primary solution to Adam's loneliness. Because think about it, uh, many of you are, are married and you're still lonely. Think about Jesus, the most perfect man who ever lived. He lived a fully flourishing life and he was never married. Marriage is not the solution, not the ultimate solution. There's a broader application here. It's just another human being in which you could be naked and unashamed with. And again, naked and unashamed, this is not primarily pr- pr- uh, applied to uh, romance or sexuality. This is kind of a metaphor for the type of relationships that all of us need, naked and unashamed. And what do you think about when you think of that phrase, naked and unashamed? Uh, you could n- yell it out if you want, as long as it's not weird. <laughs> Anybody? Vulnerability. vulnerability. You're created for vulnerabil- vulnerability. I- anybody else? How about honesty? How about sincerity? How about openness and freedom with another human being? You're created for a relationship where you can know and be known at the deepest level. And so because we're made in God's image, it is in our deed a long for connection, and not just any connection, but a connection where people know you at the deepest level where you can engage in a back and forth of just vulnerability and openness and freedom. This is where you come alive. This is when you, where you fully flourish as a human being. This is a type of relationships that we all were built for. Now, we could go on here and say, all right, let's go do it. Let's go, let's go after those relationships. Let's go create those connections. But we all know there's a problem, don't we? Because the story thickens and we realize that we actually have a deep issue. This kind of connection for us as humans can be deeply problematic. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've tried and you've tried for all of your lives to, to, to connect like this and yet there's constant frustration, isn't there? On a million different levels, there's constant frustration because there's something else going on in this text because deep in the fabric of who we are is not only a a, a need for community but also a problem with community. And so we all know the story. They don't live happily ever after but but Adam and Eve disobey God, don't they? They eat eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and as they bite that fruit, they are severed. their, Their relationship with God is broken. But what I want you to see is that they, this, this, the eating of the fruit, the sin that entered into the world, doesn't just sever them off from God. It separates them from one another. There's a relational fracture, not only on the vertical level, but also on the horizontal level. They are separated from one another. 
And so they sow fig leaves that, that hide them, not only from, from God as he's walking in the garden looking for them, but, but, but siphon them, them off from, from knowing each other. That deep, and, and, uh, uh, well, what am I looking for? Uh, vulnerability, the openness that they had at the beginning is now gone. And so now what goes on, not only in them, but in all of us, there's this kind of schizophrenia as it, as it relates to relationship deep inside of them because there's a need for community that's still there, and yet now there's something else there. It's a resistance to community. So at the deepest level, you yearn for openness and honesty, but you resist it. You want to know and be known, and yet you also don't want to know and be known. There's another sculpture that that someone made. It's going to come up on the screen, uh, hopefully in a second here. And this is out at Burning Man. And uh, it's an amazing sculpture that is kind of a picture of what I'm talking about. You know, there's this this desire for connection, this kind of baseline desire to be known and loved, and then there's a resistance. I want to be known. I don't want to be known. I want to connect. I don't want to connect. And it's like that country song, I've been so miserable since you've been gone, it's almost like you're here. <laughs> That's a deeply theological line right there. Do you hear it? It's, I want it? I've got this deep need in my DNA to connect and to know and be loved and, and to engage with community, but I don't. I've been so miserable since you've been gone, it's almost like you're here. I can't, there's, what can I do? People fill my deepest needs, but people also hurt. And so we kind of create these ways of isolating ourselves from one another that run deep into our DNA. They come way, they, they go back not just to your parents. And you learned a lot of dysfunctional ways of relating from your parents, but it goes way beyond them. It goes way back to your original parents. Because what do they do? First, first they hide from one another. They cover up with fig leaves, and we have way more sophisticated ways of doing that now. Where, you know, maybe you, you, you hide behind social media and you, you kind of carefully curate your life the way you want to be known, but it's not the real you. Or maybe you hide yourself in a religious community where you put on this front like everything's fine and everything's put together. How are you doing? I'm doing great all the time. Bless the Lord. But that's not what's really going on. We do it through blame shifting. I love the story here. They're, they're putting blame on each other. So Adam looks and says, God, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault, but, but you gave her to me. And so then he looks at Eve and she says, it's the devil. It's the serpent. He did it. The devil made me do it. And so we blame shift. You know, we isolate ourselves and we says, it's the church's fault. If they were a nicer community, then I'd connect. Or it's my wife's fault. If she would just love me the way I want to be loved, then I'd connect. Or it's, it's the city's fault. If I lived in a warmer city where people were more open and engaging, it's everybody else's fault. And so you move from one place to another place because it's never, it's never you. And it ends up in, in deep, sad isolation. And notice these are not just things that they do. These are things that we do. These are habits that we get ourselves in. Hi- habits of isolation. Patterns of relating to one another that, that separate us and isolate us where we're hiding and blame shifting and they work their way into our muscle mem- memory where you do this stuff without even thinking about it. And maybe, maybe it's for you, you just bury yourself in books and that's the way you kind of evade deep connection. 
or maybe you bury yourself in work in the garage. You know, that's the way things get difficult or things gets awkward, so there you are out in the garage. Or maybe you evade it through overwork and you're always at the office. There are all sorts of patterns and rhythms and habits and ways of being that, that we've developed, we can hardly even notice them, that, that go way back to Adam and Eve where, where we are avoiding and isolating and severing ourselves off from community. I was listening to a, an interview last week with... Um, uh, Louis Giglio, he's, he's the guy who puts on passion conferences and, and he, was, he was in this interview talking about the, the worship and the, these big events that he puts on and at one point he got really vulnerable and he says, you know what man, I struggle so much with anxiety. He says, just the pressure of needing to perform. And he got real vulnerable. He says, you know, honestly, I think it goes back to my relationships. And he says, primarily with the relationship with my dad. He says, I, was, I never connected with my dad. He was a designer and he understood ideas, but he just never understood people. And so he just never, we just never connected. And he, you know, I became a Christian and it got worse, you know. And, and he says, one time, he said it was later in life and my dad had made some, some changes and he was in the hospital. He had just had brain surgery. And so, he, you know, his head was all wrapped up and he said, he said, I just had this moment with my dad where I said, Dad, you know, I just, I don't know what it was, but he says, we never connected. He says, you just were never there. And he says, his dad looked back at him and he says, son, you need to understand that nobody ever loved me. He said, nobody ever wanted me. And it was true. His dad grew up as an orphan and he was passed from person to person. And he says, he said, I just realized in that moment how tragic it was that it was absolutely true about my dad. He never learned how to love and he passed that down. And unfortunately, this is the way it works. You know, our, our patterns of, of disconnection are woven into our lives and they're passed down from generation to generation. So how do we get out of it? What's the solution? We're gonna uh, move on to the third point, which is uh, the solution that God has for this, for this uh, brokenness that they have. So here we are as human beings, we're kind of, broken and, and we're, maybe we're physically sick because we're not connecting. We can't seem to get out of it and it's, it's been going on for so long. What does God do about it? I want you to see that, that part of the redemption that God brings to the world, part of the healing that comes from the gospel is not just vertical healing but horizontal healing. God not only wants to connect you, reconnect you back to him, he wants to reconnect you with others. How does he do that? Well, I never noticed in the story here, but notice at the very end, as before they go out, uh, before God sends them out into the world, uh, what God does is he first makes, makes them new clothes. He says, get rid of the fig leaves. Those are, those are not gonna work. And so God designs for them new, new clothes to put on. And I love this because this is a hint. This is not the full, you know, blooming of what God's gonna do, but this is just a hint of how God's gonna heal them. By making them close, what is he saying? Number one, he's saying something really important. He's saying, you're right, you're not okay. You do need, you do need there is something wrong at the core of your being. There are things in your life that, that you should be guilty, that you are guilty of, that, that do bring real shame. There are parts of you that are broken that need to be covered. But he's also saying that I want to be the one who covers you. Again, and this is a picture of what's going to happen later on in the gospel because you remember Jesus hung on the cross 
and he was naked. And he, and he was up there crying, crying out, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Vulnerable, open, taking all of our shame on the cross so that he could clothe us in his own righteousness. He takes our nakedness, he clothes us in his righteousness. And so the core of the gospel is that now, what, what Jesus wants to do is at the deepest level, even closer than your own skin, he wants to weave righteousness into your life. He wants to give you a new identity where you are righteous, where you are beautiful, where you are beloved just like Jesus was. And so if you're a Christian, there's two things that are true about you. Number one, you are more sinful than you ever imagined. But you're also more loved than you ever dared to hope. You are no longer naked. Is it naked or naked? Who says naked? Somebody said that naked is when you're skinny dipping and naked is when you just don't have clothes. You're not naked or naked. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are beautiful. And so we take this new identity into community and it gives us sort of a bold humility because you can go in and say, you know what, I... I'm humble because I, we're all, this is what's true about all of us. We're all broken. We're all messed up. The ground at the foot of the cross is flat. We can't, there's nothing, the high, we're all broken. We're all messed up. And yet at the same time, we're all more loved and acceptable and beautiful than we ever dared to hope. A boldness and a humidity, humidity, humility. You take this into your, into your relationships and it changes everything. It gives you a confidence it gives you an ability to be vulnerable. There's a picture of the, in, the, in, the, in the book of Acts where uh, this group of, of Jews, they, they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart, they received God's forgiveness and the righteousness that comes from Jesus, and the, the next thing they did is they started gathering together and sharing with one another in sincerity, which means vulnerability, and it's called Fellowship. Fellowship is when, you know, you're hurting and, and maybe, you're, you, you've got issue, maybe you're in the hospital and you're able to call somebody up and say, hey, I need you to come and visit me. Fellowship is when, you know, you, 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 maybe you're in financial need and, and you're not afraid to, to go to your community and say, hey, I need, I need some help and, and the community provides for you. That's fellowship. That's koinonia. Koinonia is when, when you are wrong and maybe you're going in the wrong direction and, and, and you can open up your life to somebody where they can come in and confront you because fellowship is not just soft. It's also where someone can come and speak to you hard truth. That's fellowship. And fellowship can be fun and playful. You know, when, 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 when I was in the office and I was dancing and Lucas took a video of me dancing and then put it, what nobody should have seen, that he put it out on social media, that was not fellowship. <laughs> that was mean. But it's playful, and it's fun, and it's real, and it's what you were built for. And it comes out of this deep sense of, I, I know that I'm, I'm broke, I know that I'm broken, but I know that I'm loved. I'm humble, but I'm bold. And therefore, I could open my life up to others to know and be known the way God has always created me to be. 
So let me end here by uh, applying the sermon a little bit because ultimately we want to talk about rhythms because it's not enough just to know this is true. You've got to actually change your habits. Remember, you've developed patterns of isolation. You've developed rhythms that, that kind of work against community in your life. You need to recognize what those things are. Maybe it's burying yourself in books, maybe it's working in the garage, maybe it's something else. What are the rhythms in your life that are taking you away from community? You gotta realize that and then you need to begin to develop new patterns, new rhythms that lead to connection. Well, what might those be? Well, I think one thing you can do is join a community group. So, can everybody, everybody hold up your card in, in, your hand, in the air? Could you do that? Wave it like you just don't care. Okay, this is a, a card that you should have received when you came in the door this morning. These are a list of our, of our community groups. One of the rhythms that you can set in your life, one of the, the ways you can work connection into your muscle memory is by scheduling connection into your calendar. Because you may say, oh yeah, I want to connect, I'm built for community, but you need to actually schedule that into your life. Where you put on, okay, maybe every other week or, or every week on a Tuesday night, I'm going to gather together with this community. What, what you're doing there is you're actually developing a new habit that's leading you in the way of connection. And so if you haven't yet committed to a, a community group or a small group, I want to encourage you to do this. Now, I don't want to uh, promise you that this is going to solve all of your loneliness issues because you can go to a community group and, and not connect and still be frustrated and there's always that weird person that makes it super awkward and, or maybe you're super introverted and it's hard for you to connect and it's not, maybe it's not gonna solve all of your loneliness needs but listen, it's a baseline thing. It's a rhythm you put in your, your life, you schedule into your calendar that's putting you in the direction of community. If you're a leader of a community group, I want you to encourage, I wanna encourage you to foster honesty and connection. You know, as leaders, you need to kind of lead out on this because I've noticed that in a community group, as you're discussing uh, the, the sermon or whatever, and I found that, um, you know, in, in our group, a lot of times people just won't open up. They won't be real in that situation. So as leaders, you need to lead out there and you need to be vulnerable so that everybody else has the freedom to be vulnerable. So you could join a community group. I, I, want, I want to encourage you to do another thing. I want you to break up with your iPhone. Seriously, break up with your iPhone. And, and maybe, don't, maybe just put boundary, put boundaries in that relationship because you've got a relationship with your iPhone that's dysfunctional. Your iPhone, it's this, it's this relationship and, and you're looking at it way too often, just like in the picture we saw. Break up with your iPhone. Put boundaries around that thing. And I'm speaking to myself here right now. How about having a meal with your family where the technology is put away and you're actually, get this, talking with one another. I saw, uh, there was a study that I, that I listened to last week where it said that even when an iPhone is in the room, it distracts you. Even just, even when it's in eye, eye shot, you know, and you can see it, it's still, you know, you, you can't think as deeply, you can't really focus as deeply. So put the iPhone in another room, lock it away in a little cabinet or something. Break up with your iPhone. Put boundaries around your habits of uh, iPhone use. And eat with people. Maybe eat with your neighbors, eat with a community group, eat with your family. Jesus was always eating with people and connecting with people. 
and engaging with people. Because he was showing us the way of full flourishing as human beings. Maybe you're not ready to to join a small group. I want to encourage you to sign up to serve somewhere in our church because sometimes serving can build community. Maybe sign up to do Our Father's Table once a month because when you go and you do that, you're not only serving others, you're building community. You know know how connecting it is to serve with somebody else, to join in, in God's mission with another human being? It actually bonds you together and it connects you together because you're looking in the same direction and you're locking arms. And so maybe you're not ready to connect to a community group. Serve in the Sunday school or join the worship team if you can sing. Serve at our Father's table. Serve in the youth ministry. I also want to encourage you to try again. Because here's the thing about this, you know, all of us are still broken. And there still is that thing in us, you know, I'm, I'm so miserable that you've, you've been gone, it's almost like you're here. That's still a part of our lives. Where it's just hard. You know, it's just hard and it's, you know, you want, you want to connect, but there, maybe you're introverted or maybe you've just got issues from way back and it's just hindering you. You need to just try again. Because it doesn't matter, you know, if you've, if you've failed in the past, it, it doesn't matter um, how broken you are. Jesus Christ is a God who heals. He's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chances. Real community comes and fits and starts. And so try again. And keep trying again. Because this is what you were built for. So this morning, uh, we're going to take communion together, and this is really a, a communal act. One of the reasons why we come forward and and get out of our seats as a church is is when you're taking the bread and the cup, it's not just about reconnecting with God, it's about sharing in God's life with one another. It's about community. And so as we take communion this morning, I want you to just kind of reflect on what are the ways, what are the rhythms in my life that I need to develop that will lead me in the path of connection, that will kind of bring me back to the Eden, the, the, this original kind of vulnerability that God has created me for. So if the worship band would come up, we're gonna um, pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for um, loving us. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for, for laying yourself um, bare Uh, before the jeering crowds, becoming naked and taking our shame so that we might be naked and vulnerable with one another without shame. Thank you for clothing us in your righteousness and your beauty so that although we are more sinful than we've ever imagined or dared to to think, we are more accepted and loved than we ever dared to think. Lord, I pray that you give us assurance that, that we are known and loved by you so that we could go with confidence Uh, to try and and know and be known by others. Lord, I pray that as a community here at Fellowship, that we would, would, uh, God, grow more and more in vulnerability and openness and honesty. God, that you would bring wholeness and health and full flourishing, that we would be a community of connection and shalom. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.